Uh, we're going to go ahead and read uh, the central story of our text this morning. If you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Um, if, if you're paying close attention, you're going to notice fairly quickly after we read this and start with the rest of the sermon that, um, that the passage listed in the bulletin is wrong. Um, and the reason for that is I discovered midweek that last week I didn't cover all the verses I was supposed to cover. Um, 26 and 36 are almost the same thing, and I just failed to realize I was supposed to cover 10 more verses last week, so we're going to pick them up this week. Uh, but if you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 in the church Bibles, that's page 226, about 20% of the way through your Bible. As the Bible begins, you have what's called the Pentateuch or the Torah, that's the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then you have Joshua and Judges, which explain how Israel made it into the promised land and how they almost immediately fell into sin and decay. And then you have Ruth, which is really short. You'll pass right over it. And then 1 Samuel, which is our book. Um, there was really two scenes in our text this morning. And for now, we're just going to look at the second scene real briefly. Uh, these first 10 verses of chapter 3 really capture the transition that is taking place. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Verse 4, Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And then look down to verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Well, there's so much happening in our narrative. Uh, just as a reminder, we're in the time of the judges of Israel. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, we've already found in 1 Samuel that Eli is a bad judge, and his sons are bad priests. Eli's sons do not know the Lord. Eli does not seem to be close to the Lord, but they're still in charge. Uh, meanwhile, little Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord and with man. 
As verse 1 begins, the word of the Lord was rare. Eli and his sons can bring no word of the Lord to his people. Uh, The narrator tells us that Eli cannot see. The story reveals to us that Eli cannot hear. Both of those are physical realities that are symbolizing spiritual decay. And of course, as go the leaders, so go God's people. So God's people and their leaders are in darkness. But the darkness is about to end. Into the darkness and quiet, the Lord speaks to Samuel. It takes a little while for Samuel to figure out what's going on. But by the end, Samuel is established as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord is restoring his presence with his people. God's people had turned from God. Their hearts were far from God. And God is providing what his people need for restoration. God is removing the unfaithful priests, and he will replace them with a faithful priest. God is removing the unfaithful prophet. He will replace them with a faithful prophet. And the faithful prophet will bring God's word to the people. The faithful priest will bring sacrifice. God will restore fellowship. God is taking action to bring reconciliation with his people. God is bringing restoration. Let's pray, and then we'll look at our text in some more detail. God, our Father, it is good to gather with your people. Uh, We thank you for the privilege we have to come and to study your word. What a joy it is uh, to study your word, to see how you have revealed yourself, how you restore, how you renew, how you take darkness and bring light, how you open blind eyes and deaf ears. And you give life to dead hearts. Father, we thank you for the word in our text today and for all that you reveal to us in it. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders and ask that you would grant wisdom and discernment that they would make good and helpful laws. Father, we pray that you would help us to live peaceable and quiet lives. We ask that you would help us as an individual local church to be a blessing to our city and to our community. And we ask for the church across the United States and across the world to be a blessing. Our Lord, uh, there's uh, significant concerns around the world about the coronavirus and the various implications of that. Lord, give us confidence in you and rest in you. Help us to be wise and careful, but help us to be loving and kind and concerned for others during this time. Father, may your gospel go forth. Uh, May it go forth with power, open hearts, open minds. Father, we know that you can do these things, and we ask that you would. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our full passage this morning is 1 Samuel 2.27 through the first half of chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, We have two scenes in our text. As chapter 2 concludes, we have a prophet speaking to Eli. And then in chapter 3, the Lord speaks to Samuel. And we'll treat those scenes as our outline this morning. Scene one, the Lord speaks through a prophet. Scene two, the Lord speaks through Samuel. So scene one, the Lord speaks through a prophet. Scene two, the Lord speaks through Samuel. And what is tragic about this arrangement is that Eli is the judge 
of God's people. He is the one who should be hearing from the Lord, but of course, he does not hear the Lord, and neither can he see. Across these two scenes, we'll see two key themes develop. Uh, In Hannah's prayer, back in chapter 2, verse 7, she said, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. And the first theme we see in our text is that the Lord brings low the house of Eli. And then the second theme, the Lord exalts Samuel. So the Lord brings low the house of Eli, and the Lord exalts Samuel. Uh, We'll see that first theme in both scenes, and we'll see that second theme really more in the second scene. Uh, Scene one, the Lord speaks through a prophet. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 27. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Well, as our text begins, a man of God brings the word of the Lord to Eli. Uh, We don't know who the man is, a prophet of some kind, bringing God's word to man. But that's all we know of him. He's a man of mystery. And the prophet brings the word of the Lord. This is God's message for Eli. It's a hard message, but a message that Eli desperately needs to hear. And God begins by reviewing his past work with Eli's house. This is what God has done. The Lord has showed grace to Eli's house. That's the central reality of these first few verses. The Lord showed grace to Eli's house. Eli is of the tribe of Levi, of the family of Aaron, the brother of Moses. So when the text talks about the house of his father, that's Aaron's house. So God made Aaron his high priest, and his sons after him were to serve as the priests. God showed grace to Aaron and to his sons after him. Uh, There's nothing about Aaron that made him a better candidate to be priest than the other families in the house of Levi. Uh, God chose Aaron. God revealed himself to Aaron. God made Aaron his priest. He gave him the ephod, and God poured out his family on Aaron and made him great. Eli is the inheritor of all these blessings and promises. So Eli is a recipient of God's grace. The Lord showed grace to Eli in his house. And really, all of Israel is receiving this grace in the sense that the whole nation is receiving better than they deserved, uh, even by choosing to have a priest. God is pouring out his grace on his people. That is, Everyone is blessed because God chose someone who could make sacrifices on behalf of the people. God made a way for man to be reconciled to God. So God has been gracious to Eli's family, just as God is always gracious. But unfortunately for Eli, God is recounting his grace to Eli so that he can highlight the depth of of Eli's sin. And what we find next 
in the word of the Lord is that despite God's grace to Eli's family and even directly against the grace revealed in all the sacrifices, Eli has scorned God's sacrifices and offerings. So as the scene unfolds, the the man of God identifies that Eli has sinned against God. Verse 29, this is the prophet still speaking. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Uh, So last week as we were reading about the sin of Eli's sons, it seemed perhaps a little bit as if Eli is sort of outside of the situation of his son's sins. Uh, Perhaps not personally guilty of the sins, but only guilty by failing to deal with the sin. Here we discover Eli is actually directly involved in the sin. So he may not be personally sticking the fork into the pot and taking the meat, but he's getting fat off of what his sons are taking. They're taking the choicest parts of the offerings, God's part of the offerings. They're eating the Lord's portion themselves, and they are getting fat off of it. So Eli is not just an innocent bystander. Uh, He's not even just responsible because he has authority. No, Eli knew his cut of meat kept getting better. His cut of meat kept getting larger. It's not like he couldn't tell. He knew what was going on. He was enjoying the meat. The right thing to do would have been to discipline and even remove his sons. But he couldn't bring himself to do it. He was more concerned about their honor than God's honor. He was more concerned about their reputation than God's reputation. So he allowed them to continue in sin, and he enjoyed the benefits of their sin. Eli is a participant in the sin. And so the man of God makes it clear that God knows about Eli's sin. His sin is not hidden from God. And neither is ours, right? Your your sin is never hidden from God. Uh, You may believe that your sin is private, that only you know. And it may be true that no one else on earth knows about your sin. But God knows. God knows our sin. And now the prophet shares the message that the Lord has really been moving toward. Judgment is coming on Eli's house. The Lord declared judgment. Verse 30. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword. Verse 34, And this, shall, this that shall come to, upon your two sons, 
Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver, a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest places that I may eat a morsel of bread. So God had promised that Aaron's house and Eli's house would serve as priests forever, but that promise was contingent on the faith and faithfulness of his people. Uh, Eli's house no longer acts as judge and priests. Their reign will come to an end. The mighty will be brought low. Well, why? Why are they losing their place? The Lord says, those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. God gave them everything. They had position and power. They were given spiritual authority and prestige. They had wealth in a sense, in an earthly sense of having everything they needed cared for. But they despised God. And now they're paying the price for their sin. Uh, The Mosaic covenant that God gave with Israel was a gracious covenant. God established a means for his people to receive grace. But the covenant also commanded God's people to demonstrate their faith through faithfulness in their lives. And so throughout the covenant, we see the language of blessing for faithfulness and cursing for unfaithfulness. And what we see in our text is the covenant language of a curse for unfaithfulness. In verse 30, they had had this promise of a continued line of priests, but due to their unfaithfulness, that line of priests will end. In verse 31, their family strength will wane. Uh, Future children will not live to old age. In verse 32, this prosperous priestly family will come to ruin. They won't be wealthy anymore. Verse 33, in fact... The only reason that any offspring of Eli will have a long life is so that they can weep over what God has done. His descendants will die by the sword. I don't think I have to tell you it's bad news for your nation if your religious leaders are having to either fight in battle or otherwise be put to death by sword. There's a sign that Eli will see to demonstrate this covenant promise is taking place. Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's two sons, will die on the same day. And when they die on the same day, Eli will know that God's judgment has arrived. Again, in verse 36, anyone who survives in the family will beg and have nothing. Well, how the mighty have fallen. God is going to bring low Eli's house. Almost no one will continue. Those who do will live in poverty God reverses fortunes. God brings down the great. God exalts the powerless. Here the unfaithful priest will be replaced. God will bring low the house of Eli. But even in the midst of this judgment, the Lord promised restoration. The Lord promised restoration. Did you you notice that in verse 35? And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest 
who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. So in the midst of this declaration of judgment, we have the promise of a faithful priest. God will raise up someone new to reconcile man to God. Not like Hophni, not like Phineas, not like Levi, excuse me, Eli, a faithful priest. God will raise up a priest who will do what is according to God's heart and God's mind. The priest will act according to God's will. And this faithful priest will have a sure house. Almost immediately in chapter 3, verse 1, the text transitions to Samuel, and we're thinking we've got our faithful priest. But although Samuel does wear the ephod and he does carry out some priestly functions, he doesn't seem to be the priest God is speaking of. Uh, Perhaps another priest who arises in the book of Samuel will be a temporary fulfillment of this promise, a a short-term promise of a faithful priest. But no priest in Israel's history ever perfectly fulfilled this promise. Not until Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is faithful. Jesus is the only one who did according to all that is in God's heart and mind. Jesus is the only one who became a priest forever. Jesus is the only one who has given a sure house forever. You know, for God's people back then, this promise of a faithful priest probably seemed almost impossible. And for God's people today, the promise of a faithful priest is a present certainty. We see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. Exalted is our merciful and faithful high priest forever. The fulfillment of God's promises made long, long ago. Well, thus ends scene one. The Lord has spoken through the prophet. God was gracious to his servant, but Eli and his family defied God. And so judgment is coming. Eli's family will be set aside. The Lord brings low the house of Eli. But the Lord will raise up a faithful priest to mediate between God and man. As this section ends, we have no idea what Eli thinks of all this. There's no response. That brings us to scene two. Scene two, the Lord speaks through Samuel. The Lord speaks through Samuel. Look at chapter three, verse one. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Verse 4, Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. Then the Lord called again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. You don't know. He may have fallen asleep probably right before that second time that Samuel comes. I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. 
And just about the time Eli fell asleep, the Lord called to Samuel again the third time. He rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. We see two key realities in this section that are central to our understanding. First, Eli cannot see or hear. And second, we see our second key theme for the entire passage this morning, the Lord exalts Samuel. So, so the first thing we see in our text is that Eli cannot see or hear. Now, on the one hand, this may seem like kind of petty things to bring up about Eli. After all, he's getting older. Of course, he has vision loss and hearing loss, and here we're highlighting it. Classic ageism, right? But what we see are physical realities that represent spiritual decay. Eli's loss of vision and his loss of hearing represent his spiritual condition. So they're real, like he really did lose his eyesight, he really has trouble hearing, but they represent something far deeper, and that's why the author of Samuel has introduced these things to us. Um, in verse 1, we see that the word of the Lord was rare and that there was no frequent vision. Eli no longer has ears to hear God's word, and he no longer has eyes to see a vision of God. It's not the case that Eli's age has made him far from God. Eli's spiritual condition has made him far from God, which we have seen in Eli's condition so far in 1 Samuel. Right? He's, he's not doing well. He's far from God. And so verse 2 highlights his condition. Eli's eyesight had begun to grow dim. He cannot see. He's the leader of God's people, but Eli cannot see spiritual truth, which, again, is what we've kind of seen so far in Samuel. The other thing we see about Eli in our text is that he cannot hear. Who should the word of the Lord be coming to? Well, Eli is the judge of Israel. He is the priest of Israel. We would expect that he receives the word of the Lord. But of course, the text is highlighting to us why Eli doesn't receive the word of the Lord. He is not spiritually alert enough. And so as the text plays out, we find out not only can Eli not see, he also cannot hear. Uh, it's very early in the morning while it's still dark, so the lamp is still lit up. The lamp has not gone out yet. There's still some light in the house of God. And all of a sudden, Samuel hears a voice call out. There's probably only one person Samuel would expect to hear a voice from, Eli. And so Samuel goes to Eli, here I am. And Eli says, why are you there? Samuel says, you called me. He says, no, he didn't. Go back to bed. And this replays three times. I'm here. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. If you have children, you, you know this scene, right? Like, it's just, this is how it works. But finally, after God has called out three times, 
Eli realizes something is up. He doesn't catch it the first time or the second time, but finally by the third time, Eli becomes aware that something is happening. The Lord is calling you, Samuel. I'm not calling you. The Lord is calling you. So if he calls you again, you tell him you're ready to listen. What does all this have to do with Eli? Well, this has everything to do with Eli and nothing to do with Eli. It has everything to do with Eli because Eli should be the one to hear the voice of God. Eli should be hearing from God. Eli heard nothing. Three times God has called out. Three times Eli has heard nothing. Eli had to process and figure out what was going on because he couldn't hear what was going on. Eli had to work out what was happening with Samuel because he couldn't hear what God was saying to Samuel. Eli could not hear the voice of God. In that sense, this had nothing to do with with Eli because he's no longer part of the spiritual picture. The Lord isn't bringing his message to Eli anymore. The man of God had to come and give God's message of judgment, and now Samuel is going to have to pass on a message of judgment to Eli. Eli cannot see or hear. He does not see God's vision. He does not hear God's voice. Eli was God's instrument who slowly drifted far from God. He no longer sees truth. Uh, Yes, he did confront his sons, but he's still enjoying the benefits of their sin. He doesn't really accept the gravity of their sin. And that's why God is judging Eli and his sons. Eli can no longer hear the voice of God. Uh, The second key reality in this section is that the Lord exalts Samuel. And really, this is the second key theme of our entire text today. The Lord exalts Samuel. The Lord brings low the house of Eli, but the Lord exalts Samuel. Uh, We don't have precise time markers in our text. Samuel is still a boy. We can't tell exactly how old Uh, he still does not yet know the Lord. In fact, this event will be the event after which he does know the Lord. There's nothing about Samuel to set him apart. Uh, He's the child of a woman who had formerly been barren. She had been low, and God had exalted her. And now the Lord is likewise exalting Samuel. As the narrative unfolds, Samuel initially has no idea what's going on. He hears a voice. He assumes it's Eli. Until Eli finally figures out what's going on and tells Samuel to tell the Lord he's ready to listen. The Lord is showing grace to Samuel. Samuel didn't seek the Lord. The Lord sought Samuel and called him out. The Lord is exalting Samuel, not because of anything intrinsic to Samuel, but simply because God had grace on him and called him for his own purposes. The Lord is showing grace to Samuel and grace to his people. Samuel had no prominence before, but God is calling him to great things. And the rise of Samuel means God's grace for his people as well. God is bringing hope again to his people. God is bringing restoration. As the narrative continues to unfold, the next thing we see is that the Lord restates his judgment on the house of Eli. 
It's judgment restated. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for, shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. God is judging Eli and his sons. Just as he had announced through his prophet, so now he announces again, Eli and his sons will be judged because they blasphemed God. You know, what's interesting is that this judgment is both terrible and great news. Uh, Obviously, it is bad news for Eli's house. And you could tell from the language uh, that it will represent trouble for God's people as well. It's probably going to bring a kind of judgment on the whole nation. But this judgment will also be a means of grace. Because through this judgment, God is going to remove the evil leaders from Israel. All this time, God's people have been under the oppressive leadership of Eli and his sons. And now God is going to use this judgment to set his people free. Next movement in the scene, Samuel delivered the word of the Lord. Samuel begins acting as a prophet. Samuel delivered the word of the Lord. Look to verse 15. Uh, The Lord gives Samuel this message. Now he's delivering the word of the Lord. Verse 15, Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Isn't that a profoundly sad statement that the judge of God's people is asking this child, what did God tell you? I need to know the word of the Lord because Eli doesn't know the word of the Lord. Well, this is first uh, Samuel's first act as a prophet. God gave Samuel the message. Now Samuel passes that message on to Eli. Uh, granted, Eli didn't give him much choice, but nevertheless, he does pass on the message as God commands. He, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He says he lays it all out. The Lord raised up Samuel. The Lord is establishing his prophet. And God's people once again, hear the voice of God. The word of the Lord does not have to be rare anymore. Eli hears God's warning, but even though Eli knows judgment is coming, Eli does not repent. Eli does not repent. Verse 18, So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him, and he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. From one perspective, Eli's statement might seem positive. After all, the Lord can do whatever seems good to him. 
right? He's God. He has the right to do that. What is wrong with Eli's perspective, though, is that it lacks repentance. God is always gracious to those who repent. Eli, of all people, the judge and priest, should have known that God is merciful to those who repent. And he should have repented and led his sons in repenting. Eli did not repent. Eli heard God's message of judgment, and Eli essentially shrugged it off. Well, God can do what he wants. Friend, if you realize that you are in sin, repent. If someone tells you you're disobeying God, repent. Turn from your sin. That's what repent means. Turn away from your sin. If someone confronted you about your sin and warned you God will judge your God will judge your sin, turn from your sin. And if you're realizing this morning even for the very first time that you are a sinner, then repent even now. Turn from your sin and trust in God's son. Jesus is God's eternal priest who offered one sacrifice for all time. And he reconciles God to man for everyone who trusts in him. God is merciful to those who repent and believe in Jesus. Eli would not repent. So he is going to phase out of the picture in Israel as God carries out his judgment. A final event in this scene, Samuel is established as a prophet of the Lord. Samuel is established as a prophet of the Lord. Verse 19, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord, Chapter 4, verse 1, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. The Lord exalts Samuel. He makes him his prophet. The Lord gives his word to Samuel, and Samuel gives the word of the Lord to God's people. Not one word falls to the ground. That is, his people hear his words and hang on them. They hear his words and apply them. They do not ignore the word of of the Lord. Samuel's word is heard because it is God's word. As we read this passage, we have to remember the average Israelite doesn't have God's word written down. Uh, they would have memorized some of the Torah, probably, and they would have gathered on the Sabbath and feast days, and they would have heard the word of the Lord, but that's all they had in their possession. So when we see in our text that the word of the Lord was rare, that means they do not have the word of God. There's no frequent vision, so they do not have the word of God. And neither of these things were happening because of Eli and his sons. So God's people need God's word, but they do not have God's word. And so God puts down 
Eli and his family, and God raises up Samuel and makes him a prophet. And now God's people have God's word again. And all Israel is coming to Samuel to hear the word of the Lord. So now God's people have a faithful prophet. Now God's people have God's word. The Lord exalts the lowly. The Lord provides what his people need. So we've had two scenes. The Lord speaks through a prophet, and the Lord speaks through Samuel. The Lord does not speak through the current judge, Eli. And this is because of his sin and the sin of his sons. And so the Lord brings low the house of Eli. But the Lord exalts Samuel. The Lord brings low and the Lord exalts. Eli is a picture to us of someone who refuses to repent. He recognizes that sin is going on. He's participating in the sin. He knows something ought to be done about it, but he refuses to repent. We also see in our text how the Lord provides. God's people need a faithful priest, someone who can reconcile God and man. God's people need a faithful prophet, someone who can bring the word of the Lord. And in our text, we see the beginning of God providing all these things. Samuel, the prophet, brings the word of the Lord. He's a type of the prophet who is to come. We have God's promise of a faithful priest, the one who would do according to all that is in God's heart, the one who would be established as a priest forever. And all this is pointing forward to the time when God's own son would enter into creation and fulfill God's promises. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life of faithful obedience to the Father, was the faithful prophet, the true priest forever. And he offered himself as the ultimate and final sacrifice, one sacrifice for all time. He laid down his life on the cross, and three days later, he took it up again. He ascended back to the Father, where he now sits at the Father's right hand, and all of God's promises find their yes in him. Let's pray together. God, our Father, it's so easy for us to relate to Eli and his sons, to being in sin and not wanting to repent. And we ask that you would grant to us a heart of repentance. Give us hearts that want to please you and honor you, that want to live faithfully before you. Father, we thank you for your promise of a faithful priest who would do according to all your heart, all your will. We thank you that Jesus has come as that faithful priest. Thank you that you sent, that you raised up a prophet like Samuel. We thank you for all the ways that you have brought your word to us. We thank you that Jesus is the ultimate and final prophet. And even though we haven't come to the kings in Samuel yet. We thank you that Jesus is the true and final king.
We ask you to help us to submit to him in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.